Are you outside? I am. Hopefully the wind isn't. I can't hear it. I'm more, I was working from the front porch earlier and they were doing some sort of detection at the construction site across the street where it was just like beeping nonstop for an hour and a half. Correct. How's the weather out there? Uh, it's like rainy this entire week. Really? It's just been cloudy out here. No rain. It was supposed to rain all week, but it's been cloudy all week and today it's rainy. Whatever. I'll take it. The plants love it. The bees hate it. But, you know, the bees will like it when all the flowers bloom. So our wildflowers are finally blooming. I mean, it's not impressive at all. I went to go buy dirt yesterday for the flower bed, for the garden beds. And the guy was like, you should just wait until this weekend when we can get you stuff you fill in there. He said he doesn't even plan his garden for another like week or two. Oh, really? That's crazy. My friend on the coast is already like getting food off of his plants. That's wild. What did he mean? Wait till this weekend so he can. Uh, it was to get like a, they're like expandable cocoa blocks that you put in the bottom okay. of a garden bed to keep them from, or to, to have them like take up space. Oh, okay. All right. Well, Chris, today we are talking about the space shuttle discovery, but the space shuttle discovery was the uh, first shuttle to dock on the International Space Station on May 29th, 1999. Discovery is scheduled to dock with the new International Space Station. CNN correspondent Miles O'Brien joins us live to discuss this landmark rendezvous in space. Mike, 41 hours, 18 minutes after the space shuttle Discovery lifted off from the Kennedy Space Center, it has found the needle in the haystack and is about 30 feet away from that fledgling International Space Station. Let's take a look at some still images. First of all, I don't feel like 1999 was far enough away. I feel like this happened way, way, way before that, but I guess the internet only sometimes lies. Not about this. On May 27th, 1999, uh, less than a year after the first two modules of the International Space Station called Zarya and Unity were connected, uh, the Space Shuttle Discovery launched on mission STS-96. It became the first shuttle to dock with the International Space Station on May 29th. Uh, it was a logistics and resupply mission to deliver supplies to the newly assembled parts of the ISS. They also had like a bunch of stuff to like a space crane. I'm interested. I don't really know what I would do with it, but a space crane sounds cool. So they delivered one of those. It launched from Kennedy Space Center in Florida and returned to Kennedy nine days later on June 6th. It was originally scheduled to leave on the 20th and had to be postponed because of hail damage. It was determined that the tank's foam insulation couldn't be reached for repairs while it was on the pad, so that pulled the whole shuttle off, which is probably more of a hassle than it could possibly sound like to us lay people. Uh, inspections revealed more than 650 divots in the tank's outer foam. They repaired 460 critical ones and said, that's good enough. Just let it yeah, ride. It's still like almost 200 divots in a space <laughs> seems significant. I don't know. Just ride her, ride her till she dies, you know? <laughs> so the wheels fall off, man. <laughs> the crew of the mission was Commander Kent Rominger, pilot Rick Husband, uh, EVA Specialist 1 Daniel Berry, Flight Engineer Ellen Ochoa, uh, EVA Specialist 2 Tamara Jernigan, IV slash RMS, 
Julie Payette and Mission Specialist Valeri Tokarov. So the, the, the spacewalk that the EVA specialists did, Daniel Berry and Tamara Jernigan, was uh, the 45th spacewalk. It lasted seven hours and 55 minutes. That's wild. That's an entire workday spent working in literal space. Sounds crazy. It was the second longest spacewalk to ever happen. Mission was completed successfully. Everything went, went as planned. They delivered all their food, clothes, sleeping bags, water, cranes. So were the like sleeping bags and like food, was that like actually outside in space? They like why did that have to go through space to get inside? Was it in another capsule that had to be yeah. taken from one to the other? There was a capsule. I'd have to I'd have to look at the Wikipedia page again. It was called like Star Lab or something like that. There's a company that built capsules specifically to go in the space shuttles, and those capsules would get loaded with stuff to get taken to the ISS. Gotcha. But I think at this point there was like basically nobody up there. They they only had like the first. They had like the pods for it. So one came from the U.S. and one came from Russia. Yeah, but it said uh, the thing I read said that the pod for this one was like. 3,600 pounds of stuff. That's a lot of stuff. I mean, I guess it still weighs that much in space. It just doesn't have gravity doing anything about it. So I find uh, the first thing that I thought of is that like astronauts apparently report, uh, so like space is a vacuum, right? But astronauts report that space has a really weird smell that's kind of like they describe it as a, a mix of gunpowder, seared steak, raspberries, and rum, which is very specific. Wow, very. But imagine getting into your sleeping bag that just went through space, and uh, it just smells like, you know, it's seared just... steak, raspberries, gunpowder, and rum. Do you think when the when the sleeping bag gets to the space station, it smells like it's been in a plastic bin in your basement for a few months? Like oh, it smells like mothballs for sure. Yeah. 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 So maybe that's an, maybe space is an improvement on mothballs. I mean, steak and raspberries sound nice, but I don't know if I'd want to do it all the time. So, you know, now that I think of this, when we originally talked about this episode, we, there was the conversation that uh, the space station has just always existed and has been in space forever because. Um, the because Y2K was forever ago, and um, you know the the 90s was uh, forever ago. Um, but now that I think back to it, I was living in Canada in 1999, and the Canadarm II was um, like Canada's big. Um, their big project on the space station, which is one of the coolest parts yeah. of the space station to me. It's not the, the arm itself, but that was like, that, that was a very big deal in Canada and people like, there's a huge point of national pride. Um, but this idea of, um, international cooperation on the space station and like even throughout times of, uh, political differences, like even now, right. With, with, yeah. Um, conflict in, in Russia and Ukraine and uh, like Russia recommitting to the space station. Um, it's been one of those kind of like 
last bastions of uh of unity is this like support of safety of astronauts and the the pursuit of of science is um always the thing that i thought was the coolest part about it and i think like i don't know it almost seems like i wonder if part of it is because like you can't own space the way that humans feel like we can own everything on earth we can take it under our control like how do you how do you own the infinite abyss? The only way to go about it is to like work together. I mean, not yet, right? And right. I think well. like like <laughs> unfortunately, and not to sound like pessimistic, but I think part of the reason that we like currently see that um there was this whole talk last year about Russia dropping out of the the space station and building their own space station. And then recently they, they recommitted to the ISS. Um, and so there's obviously this, this want and th- this need to be there and to be a part of the science that's happening. And like, I for one am excited for the like future uh like wild west time of space. I feel like there are elements of that already, you know, when like is there any limit to the number of Starlink satellites that are going to end up in space? You know, there's not there's no way to regulate that and, you know, if you have a private company and you have the money who's stopping you. Yeah, I mean, okay, let me clarify. The like radical environmentalist in me uh like very much wants there to be like like uh um restrictions and wants us to do this responsibly but you know i think there's going to be really crazy stories of like space cowboys mining asteroids and uh like manufacturing um in like microgravity environments in space. And I, like, I think that's not too far off. Um, and I think it'll be absolutely fascinating. Do I think that we'll like handle it well? I'm not hopeful, but you know, I think eventually hopefully we get there. Realistic. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I keep thinking of like Kevin Costner in space, um, like an asteroid, you know, like, uh, was it Armageddon? Was that the uh, mm-hmm. was that the movie then? Yeah, like yeah. where they've got to go, like blow up the the asteroid. Yeah. Um, but you know that, but like mining, just yeah. a bunch of greasy miners up there. I would love it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, think you get the two weeks on, two weeks off schedule that you get when you're like an offshore yeah rig worker. I was in high school when this happened. Which is like definitely dating myself now, but here we are. Um, I feel like this should have been a more seminal moment in my like high school memory because that was—I mean—this yeah. only happened a year after the ISS came into existence to begin with. So maybe it's just sort of that like uh, the Mandela effect, where you're like, no, the ISS must have been there since the sixties. You know, when I was really little. Like, what kid didn't want to go to space camp, you know? Like, that was the thing. Like, you know, and I didn't know anybody that got to go, but, like, 
everybody wanted to. The closest you got was like the Gravitron at the fair. Yeah. <laughs> and like space was like the cool thing. So it would make sense that like the first ship docking there and then like it eventually becoming populated would be like a huge deal. But there's no flashbulb moment, like flashbulb memory that I have of that happening. Um, whatsoever. No. Uh, I mean, there, there was, aside from the Canada arm, um, one of the, the women, Tamara Jarnigan, uh, was Canadian. So this was her like fifth and final flight that she did was this mission. Maybe there were more memories surrounding that in Canada than here. We're like, oh, we always have, we always have astronauts. It's no big deal. I think I have more memories of, uh, my best friend's uncle was, uh, an engineer for the Royal Canadian Air Force and the Royal Canadian Air Force is, yeah, not like great, but he, like has his name on the like ejection seat patent and like Whoa. uh his um his job at one point was to launch frozen turkeys into jet engines uh to test bird strikes um against geese like jet engines against like goose strikes because it's Canada naturally. I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. So that that As occupies a, a lot of my my engineering mind. Is there any better future job than like? <laughs> I get to chuck frozen turkeys into jet engines just to see what happens. Yeah, yeah, that exactly. Sounds awesome. Yeah. I wonder if they're still hiring. That'll be that'll be uh, yeah. my post retirement job. I can gun for that yeah. in twenty years. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think? Would you take like a private, would you do a private company trip to space? This is an interesting question because there are, I think there's a lot of different parts to it. I mean, there's part of me that is like, I mean, absolutely. Like I would want to go to space and I think that it would be one of the coolest things ever. Like from the time that I was a child, like going into space was always like the pinnacle of like exploration. Right. Yeah. Um, and I would, would love to do so. I think at like a mass scale, there's obviously huge issues with the environmental impact of it. Like look at, yeah. like just look at the like last launch of uh, the like Falcon heavy rocket and like what that did to the, like launch pad in Galveston and the surrounding area. So like scaling that up is going to be like somewhat catastrophic. If like all things equal, like if I had the opportunity, like it would be awesome. Yeah. I can't deny that. William Shatner loved it. <laughs> William Shatner did. I remember they did some like in, in the early two thousands and I went to this like turbo hippie college before I moved to Colorado. Um, and it was one of those colleges where like everyone's a hippie kid, but it was a lot of like wealthy, wealthy kids who went to a, and went to school for adventure education. And, uh, one of the guys there, it's the classic Trustafarian crowd. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we both lived in Boulder, you know, exactly what one yeah. of those is. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
I work. I went to school with a kid whose dad like paid to be on one of the first private space tours. I feel like being and, the guinea pig would not be my deal. Like I want to go after it's been well tested, <laughs> maybe just a low orbit trip. I don't need to like, I don't need to go to Mars. I mean, what about the, um, the jets that have been like the jetliners that have been modified to, uh, like decrease altitude at like 9.8 meters per second to, mimic zero g like that even would be really sweet yeah just to feel, to feel like the i feel i feel like one of the biggest things everybody wants to know, know about space is what it feels like to be truly weightless yeah you know like you just want to float around that's a good middle ground i almost said jet blue and then it was like that's not right i meant blue origin oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm not sure i'd trust a bargain bargain airline trip to the space not yet might be like i said i need to be more 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 tried and tested and then sign me up because i love a good deal <laughs> yeah um, your bags will end up in Ma- on mars but <laughs> you're like i'm over here on venus when are they coming back uh so something i found out when i was researching this is that every uh space mission since Apollo 15 has had like a, a NASA plays a wake up song for them every morning. So they compile a playlist based on like songs that are meaningful to the, to the people who are on the shuttle or to their family and stuff like that. Um, okay. So this is, here's the list they had. And then I want to know what your, cause this would be like the ultimate walkout song. It's like way better than a single baseball game. It's like, what was your walkout song to space? Okay. We've got California Dreamin' by Mamas and Papas. Danger Zone by Kenny Loggins. Amazing. It had to be there. It had to be there. Uh, The themes from Star Wars by the Space Center Intermediate Band. Also, just like, obviously. How many Mose Eisley references can you make in one space trip? Um, Morning Colors by the U.S. Coast Guard Band, Amarillo by Morning, which that's, that one's by George Strait, and I feel like that should have been maybe closer to the end because the next morning they woke up to Exultate Jubilate by Mozart. They were not, in fact, in Amarillo. Uh, and then they wrapped up the nine-day trip with Freebird. <laughs> I I mean, Freebird. It's great. Yeah. Uh, I love I love Free Bird at the end. It's what the Vignellen for all concert. Free Bird. Okay, so what would your uh, what would your ultimate walkout song be? I might have misunderstood the question a little bit, um, and thought that these were the songs that they wake up to every morning on the space station. Just for this trip. But just for this trip. Yeah. Okay. I've got. I've got a few songs yeah. that I thought would be really great songs to wake up to if you okay. were on the the space station. Okay. Uh, but like let's there's there's some that could be applicable too. Let's hear them. I mean, one that's applicable to the trip itself is "Where Eagles There" by the Misfits. Uh, I think that's great. Um, 
there's a few that are uh, great if you're while you're on the space station. Uh, should I stay or should I go? By the Clash. I mean, that's like as you're getting ready to like wrap up, you know? Yeah. Um, don't you forget about me by Simple Minds. Um, also, don't forget me up here, you know? <laughs> Blitzkrieg Bop by the Ramones. Um, Dancing with Myself uh, by Billy Idol. Waiting Room by Fugazi. Uh, Friday in Love or Friday I'm in Love by The Cure. Um, and just if you're like for those days that you're like really lonely up there and you're just like you want to wake up sad you know <laughs> that's what the care is for <laughs> you know yeah. that was good and then nervous breakdown by black flag that was so uh, that is a good that is a good list i really went like thematic with being like stuck on a space station like out in the middle of sp- we didn't like, even get nowhere. to this is ground control to I um, trust me. I thought about. I mean, you have a, David Bowie is sleeping yeah. right over there. <laughs> I mean, man, I only picked one song, and I, I, I don't know how I also didn't think about David Bowie uh, prior to this, but it would be, I think, "Cream" by Wu Tang. Nice. Think about how much yeah. money you're sitting inside. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. They yes, like it a lot. Yeah, we did spend a lot of money on this. With just all of it, the limitless yeah. money. Yeah. Until um, they ran out that one time, but you know, no big deal. It's fine. It's fine. They held a bake sale. They cut back on avocado yeah. toast. Look where we are now. What else? Anything else about space? Didn't you, I think you told me one time you can see some of the launches from where you are? Yeah. So we're. Um, I mean, you know this, but we're on Carolina Beach at the like fairly southern part of North Carolina. And when they launch, when SpaceX launches from uh, from Florida, we can like very clearly see the shuttle launches and see the boosters separate. Oh, uh, wow. You can see like where they separate, and then see them start to like uh, like a little bit like. Basically above the tree line, you can see the boosters separate and then um, start to go back down. And then the shuttle just goes like up, like off over over the ocean. And it's uh, it's really wild to just see. It just keeps going and going and going. <laughs> like, you're like, you're, it's not stopping. It's, it's just not going to stop. And it's, it, it's, it's odd because there's no it creates such a giant like plume of steam behind it, but there's not like a, a real like sense of scale, right? Because it's, it's obviously hundreds of miles away and hundreds of miles in the sky, but it is obviously going so fast. It's yeah. really wild. Um, it's unlike anything I've ever seen. Uh, so it's pretty, it's pretty mind blowing. Especially when like really the only frame of reference is going to be like an airplane, which obviously doesn't get yeah. fast enough to exit the, exit the stratosphere. Yeah. And I mean, we like, we live by, uh, like Camp Lejeune is not far from here. So there's a, it's a like, marine base. So there's like 
jets and uh oh god what are they the uh planes with the like tilt rotors but they're like our jets flying by all the time yeah um, and it's just such a different like it's just, just another league it's crazy yeah i think the closest i've gotten is we uh i worked at a summer camp in california and it was just um i can't remember the name of the can't remember the name of the um installation that was there it was a uh, air force but they would do um i think it was around oxnard they would do flights that broke the sound barrier over the uh, over the ocean, and you could sometimes That's hear cool. it and see it. So we would do it at like the right time of night, create these crazy clouds, make this insane sound. Yeah, that's as close as I've gotten. I'll have to come out there sometime. Scare the hell out of the kids. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Give all the counselors a little laugh. Like it's the world. <laughs> Better be quiet. They're coming for you. <laughs> well, uh, we should talk to Tasia about maybe sponsoring a. Maybe that could be our next offsite for the team. Yeah. It's just an off, off the earth offsite. Or at least like uh, an adult summer camp situation or a uh, space camp situation. Yeah, I mean, if we can even get one of those zero gravity flights we'll see if it's on the budget cool yeah thanks for listening to the frontier podcast powered by gun.io we drop two episodes per week so if you like this episode be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice and come hang out with us again next week and bring all your internet friends if you have questions or recommendations just shoot us a twitter dm at the frontier pod and we'll see you next week Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.